Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things that you can buy that will actually help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This reason is why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current course setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, and along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend a lot of time pouring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times are to hunt. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery. All at my fingertips. I've had an opportunity to use the desktop version of Spartan Forge last year and recently the beta version of the iOS app, and it has replaced all of my other mapping tools. Head over to SpartanForgeAI.com to sign up today to get your place in line as the mobile app launches soon. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee guaranteed to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 251. Today, we're rolling into part number five of the listener Q&A session with my good buddy, Greg Litzinger. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine on this October 11th. Hopefully you guys got some timber time in. I recently just did a little travel hunt, a little excursion in the trailer. Did a little, actually did a lot more scouting than I did hunting, but did some uh, did some learning on the new piece. I've been kind of investigating. Weather wasn't going to be great around the home front, so I decided to, to, to pack my stuff and head to an area where the weather was going to be just a little bit better. It was rainy still, but it was the temps were a little cooler, so it felt it felt a little bit more like um like archery season to be quite honest with you. And then took advantage of the wet conditions uh at home on Sunday and went and pulled some cameras, moved some cameras, did a little bit of scouting, found some food, found some more uh, hammer scrapes. Um you know, it's it's weird, man. I don't find a ton of rubs. Yeah, I find a a lot of really giant community scrapes, which look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain, um, but it would be nice at some point to find some rubs kind of in and out of these uh, giant kind of scrape areas, these community scrape areas. I, I guess that part partially that is a little bit of a lie because I did find some, uh, some rubs not far from this last primary scrape area, this community scrape area that I found. And the reason I say, I, I feel like it's community scrape area one, it's huge, it's big. It looks like it has been there for a uh, quite a while, um, 
it's actually not far from an area that I had hunted in the past that actually had a mock scrape. I just missed somehow in my postseason scouting in years past. I just didn't walk this one little particular corner. Um, and it's this is just kind of like the way hunting is. It was maybe only 100 yards from where I had my camera set up and where I had a mock scrape. And it was like 100 yards to the north. And I just never... I never, I never saw it. I never went through there. Whenever I went to scout this one particular area and I found a bed, <clears throat> I just went, I guess, a, just a little bit to the west of it and just completely, completely missed it. So um, went into this past weekend and was kind of checking things out and trying to figure out what, what the game plan is here for the, you know, as scrapes start to start to become more and more of a factor and uh, ran across that as I was going in to check my camera and pull it and, and move it found that scrape. And so I moved it, of course, the, uh, the necessary hundred yards to put on, uh, that scrape. So super pumped about that. Hopefully we'll get some good inventory there, but some of the other cameras, you know, scrapes are definitely starting to become a little bit more active with young bucks, young deer, you know, none of the, uh, none of the giants necessarily have shown up yet per se. Um, but the action is picking up, you know, anything that I have cell cameras on scrapes and stuff like that. There's some of them that I'm getting, inventory daily just haven't had the right players kind of show up necessarily to 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 make a move and of course this week the weather and temperatures just suck it's i think it's going to be 80 on saturday which i might take that day and do put a little extra family time in that way i'm good to go uh for the rest of the uh for the rest of the archery season with family obligations but with that we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's show not beat around the bush we have another installment of the q a session that i did with greg litzinger this is the marathon continued a um, couple kind of pieces of of intel that are that are pertinent this time of year that we talk about. We we definitely have a session on on scrapes in this kind of hunting scrapes in and around bedding. We talk a little bit about how gr- aggressive should you be early season. I would say all things considered, you know, a lot of states opened up just you know a little less than two weeks ago, so we're still kind of in that earlier season phase where you know bed hunting and stuff is still really, really, you know, really important and really relevant this time of year. So we talk a little bit of, about how aggressive should you get during early season. And then, you know, we also, uh, toward the end kind of talk about the hunting, the different phases of the rut, cause that's going to be coming up here really soon. Um, of course, you know, we'll have the pre-rut timeframe. It's going to kick off. And so we kind of go through our approach to how we hunt each phase of the, of the rut. Uh, also just as a quick heads up, have a killer podcast coming up, you know, especially around this time of year, hunting scrapes and mock scrapes and stuff like that with Troy Pottinger. That's probably going to come out next week, uh, next week's episode. So I'd stay tuned for that because Troy is just a killer when it comes to scrape hunting, uh, and mock scrape setups. And he's doing it in Idaho, um, where it's really, really challenging conditions. So just a little bit of a, a tease there to, to get yourself prepped and stoked for next week's episode. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. Uh, quick housekeeping piece, skullbrewcoffee.com, coffeecompany.com. Head over there and get yourself some travel coffee for your travel hunts. Don't drink shitty coffee on travel hunts. Use the promo code TFTS21. Save yourself some cash. And then head to truthfromthestand.com. Head to the merch tab. Pick yourself up some merch. Or you can go to my Instagram uh, page. The merch is there as well. TFTS21. Pick yourself up some truth swag. With that, we'll jump into today's podcast. And as always, thank you all for listening. Next question is, uh, we already talked about stand placement in the previous session, so we'll skip that. We've already talked about exit strategies in thick cover. We've already talked about that. This one's for Greg. Will Greg be This one is for Greg. Will Greg be rehabbed from his injury before bow season? Which injury? I think that actually came from Johnny Stewart, if I'm being honest. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even lying. I'm pretty sure he he sent that in to me. Johnny, I'll be ready. Ankle taped up. Uh, we'll be dragging a few more mountain bucks off the mountain this year. Don't there you worry go. about that. There you go. So that was a, that was a quick I'll answer. do it one-legged. <laughs> um, so this person, so this is Access. And I know we already talked about Access, but he's specifically talking about like with or without a light. So whenever you're going in, are you using a light? Green light. Green light. I use a green light for getting in because it gives a wider, I can see more out here, mm-hmm. mainly for spiders. Um, I'm not, I don't have a, a phobia of spiders. I just don't like them on my face. Spider webs okay. on my face. The green. No, no argument here. Yeah, the green. <laughs> you know, when I climb up, I usually use this use because my light will go. The red LED is a little dimmer, not as powerful. 
You know, so the red light, I'll use red light climbing up. Right. But green, I think, um, I don't see many humans. Um, if I do see another flashlight, like I turn mine off and I'll mm-hmm. just let them go about their merry way. Yeah. Some spots, you know, in the salt marsh, I'm just walking out cattails. Mm-hmm. I don't really need a light. You know, I know where I'm going. Yeah. yeah. Even even walking some of the, the creeks, like I know... I've walked some of these creeks for so many years. It's like, I know pretty much what I'm doing. You right. Know? Uh, you know, I mean, last year I hunted, I hunted called Bassett Road. And I was trying to sneak in there in the morning. I, was, I thought I was super early, you know, but obviously not. Like I'm going through, I'm like, I want to get to this one spot. Just shoot a doe. That's all I want to just, just kill something. Um, it was right before, like, my peak season of work, so I was going to be working, you know, not have a life. I was like, I just want to shoot one more thing. And then walking in, it was like <clears throat> people having, you know, lightsaber fights. It was, like, everywhere. And I'm just like, what's going on? How many people are hunting out here? Because I was the first guy in, in the, the thing, and I'm kind of just slowly going around. And then, you know, 45 minutes before, you know, gray light, you know, I'm just at the base of the tree, and it's like just lights everywhere, big, giant white lights. And I'm like... Somebody tracking a deer. I mean, it was like it was on to the left of me and like to the right. I'm like, what? That's how many people out here? Because I was the only car uh, truck at the trailhead, you know. Yeah. And then it like turned into like people from this way and those people here. And party. Like, yeah, and I'm Everyone like, knew Greg was there. And I'm like, well, this is great. And I still seen a bunch of those that morning. I just couldn't get a shot. Yeah, it, John Eberhardt talks about that a lot, like in Michigan, right? Yep. With, with a lot of lights showing yep. up and, and stuff like that. So he doesn't use a white light either. Yep. I vary. Um, if it's an area where I don't care and I'm just trucking through it to get to a place, then I'll use a white light just so I can see once I get close to, I don't want to say close, but once I'm in an area, that's not just my travel area, you know, there's a difference between like I'm in the woods and I'm going to be hunting versus I'm never hunting this place ever. I'm just going to bust through it as quickly as I can to get to where I need to go. And then once I hit that slowdown period, then I'll change to whatever my, you know, green light is, or I think it's red actually on mine. And I'll use that to get into the tree and, yeah, and, and all that stuff. For like another reason, I mean, I like the green light. It don't kill batteries. You know, the mm. little headlamp I got, it's got three uh, AAAs. I, yeah, I've had that happen before. That you know, the white lights always seem to burn more batteries, even the red, like the white yeah. red burn a lot more. I don't know what type of LED. The, 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 I've had this headlamp for like three years. It's the longest one I've ever had. It's great. I bought it from Lowe's. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. It's like, the green just the battery lasts forever. So I'm like, oh, green it is, you know. Yeah. And it's, I can see, you know, probably to where your bag is, you know, and then maybe you know, five or six feet inside of me, and it's a nice, you know, it's a nice even Line, light. There's right. no like weird like you know, shadows or anything. So it's like yeah. it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I I should rephrase. So if I'm in an area where I think there's going to be people, I I will use a, a color. Um, so I don't give my location away. If it's in an area where there's not a lot of people and I'm just trying to bust through, yeah. I'll use a white one so I can see. Do they have yellow quickly. lights, yellow LED headlamps? Mm, I don't know. I think like an off yellow would be a good light to use. I think red leather. I think yellow leather is the better <laughs> option. <laughs> um, red leather, yellow, yellow. leather. <laughs> the, uh, but I, I also try to use the moon as much as I can and just not use anything like there's super bright, like full moon nights or mornings or whatever the case is. Like full those camera are awesome. hands on us. Uh, I don't know what that means, but no, he runs in the, <laughs> he runs at night in the woods to train his eyes so he can see like a predator. Can't say that I do that. Well, maybe you should, but maybe I should. So with that, I think we'll move <laughs> to the next, <laughs> the next question before it gets weird. It already got weird. Um, this person is asking, Understanding, so he wants to understand, you know, I guess how we're utilizing scrapes in and around bedding, how to hunt, you know, basically how to hunt them. Um, I guess, do you want to take a crack at this one first? For me, scrapes and bedding, I'll hunt them in the morning only. Really? I'm not a big fan of hunting scrapes in the evening. Just because... Do tell. Thermals. Like a lot of... Bedding I hunt, you know, there's water there or, or it's a swamp. So there's swirling winds. They're very inconsistent. Mm. So I don't want to ruin a good spot. Now in the morning, I'd, 
I just have more consistent wind than thermals. Got it. So personally, you know, I, I know plenty of guys that are the exact opposite. You know, I've had too many, not saying I can't do it, I've had too many close calls where a deer, you know, he's coming into a scrape and like something happens. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe got my thermal, like, I don't know what happens. You know, it's a dead calm. Who knows what my thermal thing's doing, you know, because I'm focusing there, milkweed, and see a deer, you're not paying attention where it's going, you know, so I'm like, I'm in kill mode, and they come in, and they just stop, mm-hmm. and it's got to go back, so it's like, eh. So, morning, uh, can't say that I never get that, but it happens less. Okay. So, for me, that just, I just work with what we're, you know, how I can have, stack the odds in my favor. The morning, I just have more success. Right. That's interesting. I'll have to pay attention to that because I've never thought of it that way. I mean, I'm paying attention to my wind and my thermals, but I've never really seen a difference. You're you're hunting a lot along a lot more swamps and water than yeah. I am, though. Too. It's like I only have a few places where yeah. I'm where I'm doing that. For me, um, I'll only hunt a scrape if it's outside of bedding. Like that's really kind of like my. Otherwise, I otherwise I don't know that it's a priority enough piece. I, and I guess I would go one step further. This is something I think you and I talked about previously is that it's like, there's gotta be a couple things that come together at a scrape for me to like, uh, I don't want to say burn a hunt on it, but you but put a hunt on it. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to hunt if they're just like a random scrape and there's not like a couple other puzzle pieces, yeah. you know, it's, I'm going to need to have known bedding and it's in cover, right. Or the scrapes in, in cover specifically, or, there's two or three trails that are coming to it and that scrape kind of becomes the hub of the, the, of the spokes mm. of the tire that are kind of going off of it. Or I have to have some trail camera Intel that tells me that a deer is hitting this in daylight consistently it, or there's does hitting it that I need to be hunting the area because does are hitting this now. So that yep. means that there's shit's about to pop, you know? And so I need to, I need to be ready. There's a couple of those things that, that kind of need to line up for me. But with all that being said, what I'm trying to do now more than anything, and this comes from talking to a couple of different people, one being Nathan Killen, you know, dude kills monster bucks in the mountains in Appalachians and in Virginia. And I'm trying to become more comfortable not hunting the scrape and using the scrape as part of the intel and trying to figure out where can I intercept or where are those deer going to be prior to potentially coming to the scrape because they may or may not ever make it to the scrape, you know. They may be downwind and just scent checking it. And that's a, yeah. a fine strategy is to hunt downwind of the scrape 20, 30 yards and see if you can't intercept, right? That's that's a great strategy. Or is there a specific terrain feature that they're going to have to try to move through? You know, or can I get back to where they might be? It, this might be earlier October. Can I get back yeah. to like where I think they're bedding and they're going to get up and go check that scrape? Because that's really how he's killing his deer, you know? And it goes, you know, it, it makes sense when you talk about hunting public land because anyone who sees a big scrape, if they're also seeing it, because public, we can't assume we're the only ones that know where that scrape is, right? What do you mean? Other people know? Um, other people might know, yeah. yeah. Um, and so they're going to probably do the exact same thing where, you know, this person's kind of asking. They're going to go, big scrape. Well, especially I want to set up on it. Especially if the scrape's far from bedding. Yeah. Um, or close to human travel. Mm-hmm. Those scrapes are going to be gray light, probably, or dark. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, I guess we, that's good enough. Yeah. I think, I think we covered it. I think yeah. there's a couple, I think there's a bunch of different ways. I'd yeah. say don't let it just be the only, the only factor you're yeah. evaluating, have a couple pieces in play that say, Hey, I should hunt this scrape. Yeah. And then one step further is, can you think about how the deer that potentially are going to use that, that you may never see hit that scrape, where are they going to be mm-hmm. in, in, in proximity to that scrape? And that's, you know, a strategy that I'm trying to employ more, you know, this year as I, as I think about, you know, the upcoming season and how I want to hunt some of these scrapes. Um, next question is music you pump before a hunt. Hmm. Nothing. Nothing. I go with Lemmy and Motorhead. Yeah, I really don't. I couldn't tell you last time. I'm actually I'm lying. A, I'm, <laughs> I'm dead silent. It's funny. I I oftentimes am too. You know, I don't know if it's just because I'm in the morning and I'm just still trying to wake up and be like, oh, what the hell's going on? I'm trying not to overanalyze or overthink. And I don't want to get too jacked up. Right. Uh, 
I'm not left and wait. I'm trying to kill a deer. And right. if I get too jacked up, I'll probably make dumb decisions. Sometimes I'll listen to a podcast on the way. Not necessarily hunting related. I'll just throw in a podcast, whether it's like Jocko or yeah. or whatever, and just like try to keep it normal. I I don't often listen to music related to hunting yeah. for whatever reason. It's if I if I do, it just happens to be whatever pops up on my phone whenever I plug my phone into my truck yeah. when I get in in the morning, you know, or whatever XM channel it's on whenever I get in, in the morning. Yeah, usually I'm. Yeah, I don't really listen to music. It's like dead silent in my truck. Yeah, especially, I mean, I had Bluetooth in my truck the two phones ago, and I've gotten two phones since, and I've never connected the Bluetooth from the last two phones to my truck. And when I'm driving, even like to work, right? I usually just have, I've got my phone on, it's got an earbud, one earbud in, just driving into work, listening to whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so not a lot of rocking going on over here. We're, yeah, we're sorry. basically I'm kind of a loser. Yeah, I, I would like to tell you that I'm zoned in and I'm like I'm in listening kill mode. to waterfalls. <laughs> I'm listening to, yeah. to soft one of, rain. One of those things like right the, the glass and yeah. like the crystal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> getting your chakras in alignment. Yeah. Great getting all weird with it. Um next question is how aggressive should I get in the early season? That's a tricky one, man, because there's a lot of That's a layers. loaded question. Yeah. There's a lot of... I guess, how do I get aggressive? Should I get aggressive in the early season? I guess that's a good question there. Is like alone is like... It, I if, mean... If you're on a good buck, you see... By early season, I mean, you have... Here in Jersey, we start second week of September. There's some states that start in first week of September or even mm-hmm. at the end of August. And if you got bucks... And beans or bucks out in fields and you're seeing them i say get aggressive because there's a light switch that we yeah. all know it's like and it's over the yeah. party is over and i'm separate from the herd i'm doing my own thing so if you got a buck that's he's very visual i say go after him i mean prime example is my first you know industry standard big buck i killed uh it was hunting my birthday september 30th he came through, and he came, I mean, 10 yards. I had him dead to rights, and he kept looking behind him. So I'm like, and it was a, a six, big monster six, him and this, I don't know, I forget, was, uh, maybe it was a 10 or 11, something like that. Those three of them were together. Well, Dave Warner came through. He's looking back, so I'm like, it's the big guy. Nope, it's the big six. So I let the bigger deer walk. <laughs> And I was like, ah, oh, this sucks. You know, and on my birthday, I could have killed my biggest deer at the time on my birthday. Right. I let him walk, and I'm like, I'm an idiot. Absolute idiot. Like, I got greedy for inches of antler. Never again. So they were coming from beans, cutting this little inside corner that had the beans. And they were cutting. Some of the beans started to turn brown, you know, up high. But down in the shade, they were still green. And... Three days later, just slowly turning, you know, turning yellow. And they were started cutting the beans down the street. October 5th. And I'm like, I, I got, the wind's got to be, I, I got to hunt this. And I remember going to work, and I had a picture of an eight-pointer. I actually still got it somewhere. It looks very similar to my deer. I was like, I'm going to kill that deer tonight. So I left work early, drove home, got my stuff. Wrong wind, wrong everything. They were cutting everything down. And I was like, I know these deer are still in here. You know, once the beans are gone, the cover's gone. They're like, because there's not, it's an overgrown field basically, you know, next to some beans. So I literally went through the beans. Absolutely everything wrong you should do. And I'm like, this is, I'm going all in on this deer. And I went right to my tree, beeline, straight line, right to my tree, climbed up, and that buck came out, caught my scent right there, and I shot it. <laughs> you know, everything that you shouldn't do, I did. But I know the food was going to be gone. The cover was going to be gone. Like, they're getting rid of everything. So it was now or never. So I got super aggressive, and it paid off. Yeah. I think that, to to your point, I think that's the exact right answer. I think if you have a deer that you know you can make a play on, and you're going to have limited chances or opportunities, then you need to go for it. I did that last year with that big one on that one piece that I glassed in that bean field. Like, I, I knew that he was likely going to transition 
And if I was going to kill him, it was going to be in the first two weeks of the season. Yeah. Cause we opened last year. I think it was like September 15th this mm-hmm. year. I think it's like the 19th. So we opened in the middle of September and while the beans were still good. And before he went hard horned or just as yeah. he was going hard horned would be my only shot yeah. to try to kill him. You know? So I went all in on two different hunts up in his bedroom where I found him bedded and that was it. Yeah. I got two cracks at him. Never, never saw him. And, but I never had him on a camera anywhere. Yeah. So my, my thinking was right. Yeah. He never showed back up anywhere, yeah. you know, and I had a couple cameras there. So not even yeah. during rut, like not, I have no clue where he went. He just completely vanished. Yeah. Um, like I said, in the early season too, it's public versus private. Is it, you know, can you sit back and wait? Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It's like, if you know, there's a deer, you know, where he's bedded. There's, there's no reason why like, you shouldn't hunt him. Like in, in where I'll be hunting in Delaware, you know, it's super populated, but there's a few pieces of, you know, uh, like hidden, I call it hidden bean fields. Mm-hmm. Like you can't see them from the road. You literally have to get out in Delaware. There is no like driving. Like you got to stop and walk. Well, it's like a 300 yard walk mm-hmm. of just like, just through the woods. They get this, the glass, the beans or look at the beans. Well, that's what the buck's going to be. And, not too many people will be making that walk. So I'll be there Wednesday night for a season open you know, with the, whatever wind I need, and I'll be glassing that bean field again, you know, yeah. and just hopefully something shows up. You know, if not, I'll be there, you know, Tuesday night you know, or, or September 1st, whatever, doing the same thing. Yeah. I know they're going to pop out, you know. Oh, they have to at some yep. point, you know. Yeah. It's still early. It's, it's all about the beans and the you know, end of August, September. Mm-hmm. So let's flip it now and let's talk about, Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Like early season or opening day in the big woods, you know, how you're, appro- how you're approaching that, like whether it's aggressive or not, or like never, what's, your, what's your setup? Like what's your location you're probably keying in on for? Never set opening day in the big woods. No. Or well, I would say... That's a lie. Take that back. I was thinking mountains. But open day in the big woods, that's a, without having actually eyeballs on a deer, it's really a shot in the dark. Like, mm-hmm. you kind of know where they're feeding through. Like, like, before trail cameras, I mean, hunting big woods was tough because you would literally just walk the old fire roads mm-hmm. and just try to cut a track. And, like, and you start there, you know, and kind of just work your way back and it's still a fine way to start yeah, now yeah. you know it's now with cameras you know what what's there because you're like oh that, that looks like a buck track mm-hmm. well it could be a dink i don't know you know so but now you actually have like visual thing like okay i could run six cameras along this cart road every trail crossing mm-hmm. all right boom 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 you know and then like all right time stamping them like, all right because odds are they're crossing that cart road fire trail you know where people can walk at dark mm-hmm. so it's like all right they're two hours, you know, after dark. Well, that's a hard sell, you know, or yeah. two hours for light. All right, that's a hard sell. But now we're getting into a half hour, 45 minutes. That's okay. where I'm at, man. Yep. It's like I, I need, you know, it, it's hard um, for all the reasons that you, you had mentioned. I think for me, I'll be doing it this year probably in the, like the area that I, the new area I scouted, unless there's something around here that trumps kind of what I have going on going on up there. Um, one thing, and I'll just, I'll walk you through my thought process, you know, and, and we can look at it that way. One thing I'm thinking about and having to kind of come to terms with, or come to an understanding of is what is the likelihood of these deer transitioning? Right. Cause I, I kind of know where they're at right now. I know. And look, we all know that deer transition testosterone goes up, they peel their velvet, they go hard horn. I've also seen an experience. We were talking about this today when, when Tony was over here, when we were just kind of shooting the breeze before we started podcasting. I've seen some instances with mature deer that when the transition or the shift happened, a lot of the mature bucks I had on camera in some of these big wood settings didn't really transition. Like they may have a little bit, or they may have broadened their home mm-hmm. range as you know, October is getting is here and rut is coming up. But the area they summered was contained by their fall range. And so they were still somewhat local, still home, yeah. so to speak, you know? And so that's one thing with this area I'm trying to figure out, but I have enough bucks on camera right now in a couple of different spots where I'm like, they're not all leaving, yeah. you know? And then there's 
think I said it today on like whenever I was recording like a, an upfront to one of the podcasts, I think I have probably six bucks that are shooters, yeah. you know? And so out of those six, two or three got to stick around. Just well, the odds would say that something's going to stick around. Something's going to call that home, yeah. you know? And I'll, I'll, when I was hunting Long Island, I was hunting, you know, this big patch of laurels, like just massive amounts of laurels. And all summer long, day walkers. It was mm-hmm. like, I don't know, seven or eight bucks. And New York starts October 1st. And once September 18th hit, all the big ones, peace, never seen them. <laughs> all the smaller year and a half stuck around. But all those two, like, really good ones, I mean, and one kind of, like, really good, but two monsters, September 18th was the last time I've seen them. Gone. I'm gone. And, and I've seen like, that, too, in a couple other places yeah, and it's that like, run cameras. And, and Ricky was like, yeah, that's a shift. He goes, somebody's bucks will literally go three miles. <laughs> and I'm like, three miles? He's like, they're getting their little pockets away from people. Yeah. And I'm like, but that's little woodlots, small little woodlots. They have right. to go where they're safe because they know, like, well, this power line. Well, they can't be all congregate there because it's, the social, it's yeah. the social kind of anxiety that being well, not around even, other It's danger, deer. too. Like, yeah. a deer is four years old. He's like, well, there's a lot of fucking people here. I'm yeah. not living here. I almost got shot at. You know, I'm going somewhere where nobody bothers me until fucking, you know, October 20th. And it's like, oh, time to go find some ladies, you know? Right, yeah. And that's why I'm thinking with, you know, this area we're talking like several hundred thousand acres right. where it, there's not really a need for them to go anywhere unless per, it's per food se. dependent right and so it's like as long as there's food there you, know, you would think why would they leave some to go somewhere acorns. else well yeah of course you know acorns like we were talking damn, about earlier. damn you acorns damn you acorns <laughs> um but so for me in that area you know I've already started thinking, I kind of want to show you this on a map too, before I leave. Cause I want you to kind of look at this. I have an idea this. of where I want to, where I want to be. It's like, I'm actually going to be sticking close to areas that have diversity of habitat, which oftentimes means like some type of swamp, yep. water, bog, something, because it's just going to give me a bunch of everything. It's going to create edge. It's going to create feeding opportunities. It's going to create bedding opportunities. And that for me is what I would focus on in a, big wood in this particular big wood section if i were in another piece that i hunt i would ask chad because that's mm-hmm. that's you know i would say probably i think he would answer somewhat like this <laughs> wait for a weather front and mm-hmm. go in otherwise you're just pissing in the wind to a degree absolutely you know and so i and some of that i think holds true even for where i'm going to be i'm probably going to throw a hunt at an opening day regardless yeah. of what the weather is um just Good. because i need to get some I need to also get some boots on the ground and yeah. build some intel there as well. So that's kind of the other reason. And that's too, like with the with the weather. If you know the area well, you know the deer well. No sense of rushing in, guns are blazing. If everything, the stars are not aligning, you know, plain and simple. For me, like I'm in the morning, I have a lot of beds. There's some mornings where I'll sleep in and just drive around look for deer in fields because everything's wrong for. I know there's good bucks in here, and it's like I really haven't seen anything else that this is where I need to be, but everything's wrong. I'm still driving around looking, but mm-hmm. everything needs to line up. The right wind, the moon, you have all these variables of weather. That's when you want to go into an area, you know, like, and, and go you basically all in. Right, yeah. All right, so I think we answered that one pretty well. Um, this person, so we kind of answered the early season tactics uh, in the big woods. So how would your tactics in the big woods differ for rut? What part of the rut? Mm, let's break it down. Let's say, let's go no. Let's go early, okay, middle, I, and then late. For me, pre, I mean... I'll say pre-rut is October 20th. It's probably before that or I don't know the exact terminology or time frame that they say this is the pre-rut. Mm-hmm. October 20th, hunting scrapes. Rub lines in the scrapes. I transition off the bedding mm-hmm. right around that time. Um, October 20th. So is, you'll transition away from bed hunting at that point and, yeah, and go yeah, to rub lines yeah. headed to scrapes. Like I, October 20th, well, probably the latest, I should say, I hunt over, directly near a bed or over a bed. Um, I think by then, they know what's coming. They're right. up on their feet. They're moving. And you need to find out where they're going to be because they'll bet anywhere at that point. You know, they're pretty confident what's going on, what's going to be mm-hmm. happening. 
Um, so find those, you know, scrapes, rub lines, mm-hmm. feeding in the, you know, scraping areas. Uh, scrape lines, not really a fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not, you, you might be in the middle of a, a, a two-mile scrape line. You right, know? yeah. But if you can find the, you know, a, a scraping area, which is numerous trees, how I define it, be one tree with one or two scrapes and then like another tree with a couple smaller scrapes. Right, primary like, scrape area yeah, where it's yeah. like, yeah. So you get rub lines feeding that. Um, that's money there. Yeah, uh, that's what I focus on. And then once Halloween, get close to Halloween, strictly scrapes. Find active scrapes and just sit them. There's a, from the 30th, 31st, and the 1st, scrapes are hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't care if you're in South Jersey, North Jersey, or Kentucky, PA. Those three or four days right around Halloween, it's like day walker central. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've just found the right scrape, and but I don't matter if I'm five minutes from my house or you know right. ten hours from my house. Those days are always fantastic. You know, I, from just visual me seeing it and cameras telling me, mm-hmm. you know, it's happening. Mm-hmm. And then usually it's a little kind of a dull spot, you know, a transition from scrapes into rut funnels, mm-hmm. you know, terrain based you know funnels, something that's going to just force a lot of deer down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I probably follow a lot of the same logic as you, only I'm not much of a rub line hunter. I just haven't figured out how to use them yet. I keep, every time we go scout together, it's like I pick your brain about rubs because I, I know that it's effective, yeah. you know. Um, well, just rubs not. are very misunderstood because I've ran a lot of cameras and rubs and they don't really get a lot of consistent use mm-hmm. one or two times and that's pretty much it. Yeah. You know? But if you find one that's connected to a primary scraper, you use yeah. a lot of just a travel corridor. You know, I ran cameras on, on It rubs. might be telling you an alternate travel route that versus the beaten down trail does are using yeah. versus the off trail yeah. that a buck is going to you use. Know, like the spot in Millville I found this year, I found six signpost rubs, five or six, in a tra- on a trail, which is weird for signpost rubs, rubbing both ways, 360. Hmm. And they're literally crossing this, you know, staying low, staying in the deepest, darkest spot. I mean, you hunt there, like, it, even if I were to go there today it, it, at noon, it's still dark in there. Like, it's right. dark, you know? <laughs> it's very, like like a deep, dark timber pine almost, but it's right. like laurels and everything else and holly trees. But it was five or six signpost rubs. It went about 100 yards. So it is literally, a, a, I'm assuming it's rare on Halloween and bucks are coming in, checking things out. Maybe they might rub it or not, but I'm actually going to throw uh, a couple cameras on them because hmm. I'm just curious to see what's happening to have that many signpost rubs. That's crazy. All the way around, like, each one is 360 degrees. So it's like, it's two-way travel, you know? Mm. And there's a, I mean, you can see it. It's a trail. And it's like. It's crazy because usually those signpost rubs are usually at like the center of where multiple bucks home ranges are kind of. Exactly. I've never seen anything like it. Like I, I found the first one. And I'm like, wow, signpost rub. It's amazing. It's great. And then me and Tony went back. It was like, um, Tony was like, what's that over there? Is that another rub? And it's like, I mean, they're big. And it's like, we go to that one, go on that one. We missed one. <laughs> and then it's like, it just went right around this giant scraping area. So I'm assuming it's evening, since pulling down in there before they go up and maybe expose themselves. Because it's really dark and nasty where all these rubs are. Yeah. But it's like, I got a tree picked out <laughs> where it's like, all right, and you're only going to be six foot off the ground so thick, you know? Five foot, maybe, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's rubs so big. I'm like, if that deer comes underneath me, it's going to like tink my stand. <laughs> but it's curious. You know, I'm curious to see how often they're rubbed because they're just, I mean, hourglass shaped, beat down. And I'm like, for years. It's not yeah. one, it's not a season where yeah. it's multiple uh, years. And I think I'll probably have a lot of different age class bucks coming through there. Right. Yeah. there'd be one so. mega giant, you know? Yeah. But it'll probably be maybe a couple bully bucks, you know? Younger or the smaller bully bucks that yeah. you know, run the, run the I'm block. I'm just curious to see. Yeah, I'm curious to see what you find there too, man. I mean, that's that's a really interesting kind of setup. You know, it's like, it's such a good spot. I would love to you know, put an excess camera or some, some good camera on there, but I'm like, you know what'll happen? It'll get stolen. That's what'll happen. Uh, right. So I'm yeah. having some so, shit, $30 camera getting grainy <laughs> pictures, and it's like, 
Right. Yeah, they'll cut the tree down. And yeah. Take it. <laughs> but I mean, for the most part, man, I follow the same logic as you outside of the rub stuff. You know, the one thing I will do, like you said, when you transition to those rub funnels, I'm looking at those. I, you probably are too, from the perspective of I'm trying to get in between dough bedding yeah. and trying to find how are they traveling from dough bedding to dough bedding. The one thing that I, and I really only use this on one property because it's the only property I know this to be true on is that, you know, uh, I learned this from Don Higgins at one point. I think it was Don Higgins. You know, uh, adult does pass their estrus date onto their fawn doe offspring, right? So mama doe comes in, let's just say the second. Baby doe is going to come in the second. The baby that that baby doe has next in two years is going to come in on the second. The baby's doe, yeah. baby, so on and so forth. So doe family groups typically share the same rough, like roughly estrus state within a day or two of each other, right? Because it's usually like the grandma, the mom, the baby, the other baby, like a couple generations of does. And so what I've learned on one piece is when that there's two, there's doe bedding on this ridge at the south end, there's doe bedding at the north end. And I actually found this saddle that kind of kind of connects the two, two together. And I've sat there on two different years and I actually put a buddy there in the years yeah. that I'm not there. And every year around the same time pops off like crazy and you'll get like three days of rut like you've never seen before. Yeah. And it's literally just all day buck parade mm. back and forth between doe bedding areas because I know that those does come in on the sixth. Yeah. Like that's the date that they come in or leading up to it's usually yeah. like the third, fourth, fifth and sixth yeah. or, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh or whatever it is. Yeah. It's, within a day or two. Yeah. It's that, it's that window. I killed a buck there on, on the sixth. Um, and the activity the day before was bonkers and the activity the day after was bonkers. A buddy, I put my buddy in the same tree and he killed a buck out of it too. And so it's trying to find if I do know the dates for those does, you know, and you can figure that out too, just by watching scrapes with cameras and watching do bedding areas mm-hmm. with cameras, like figure out when the bucks get real curious in those areas, man, their breeding dates are within like a couple day window of that for mm-hmm. that particular doe family. And if you know, they're going to bed in a certain area, you can bookmark it every yeah. year. You yeah. Know? And that's, it said October twentieth scrapes. I don't care if it's South Jersey or. or well, I saw it last year, yep. and it was. It's like it's like a switch, and like you said, that that and makes it's a sense. couple of days on either side, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like not hearing about the does. You know, I know I killed a one buck uh, in the mountains. He was bird dogging a doe, going back to, you know, I guess she was going back to bed, and he was on her ass. And that was October 20th. And, like, he was, you know, he was all rutted up, swelled up, stinking, you know, and big mature doe. And so I'm assuming that area is probably hot, you know, because there's a doe bedding over there mm-hmm. probably every year, you know. I haven't been back since I killed that deer. But right. It's probably, like, if that is true, then mm-hmm. that's probably a spot you can pencil in every year, like, be here. You know, yeah, for and sure. You're going to have success. You're going to see deer. You're going to see deer. Yeah, you can't tell whether or not you know is a good buck going to come yep. through when you're going to be there. Like you can't tell, but if, like, if nothing else, and you know what time or when these dates come in for yep. these does or these doe families, it's really effective too. You know, um, for for people out there that are listening, if you hunt like family farms or yep. whatever. So maybe do, maybe bucks aren't bedded on your property, right? My dad's property is like this, where it's. Bucks aren't there except during a rut. It's the only time I see good bucks on that property. Usually get one or two good summer pictures. And Mm -hmm. then otherwise you'll see a handful of decent bucks on the property during the rut. What you can really do is if you know where your does are bedded on your, on your property, on your farm, watch them for a season or two and put cameras where they're Mm -hmm. bedding and figure out when those doe families come in. And now what you can do, and typically the first one that comes in is, and this is all stuff I learned from Don, or it might've been Steve Bartilla actually with Steve Bartilla is that the doe family that that is the matriarch of the property, so to speak, the, the dominant doe, mm-hmm. she's going to have the best cover, best food for her group, typically going to come in first. The doe family that's going to come in second is going to have the second best, so on and so forth down the line. So figure out who the dominant is. They're going to come in first. Figure See out that. what those dates are, and everything is going to kind of follow suit. So now what you can do if you're hunting the rut and say maybe you don't have like a ton of good scrape activity in your product, because my dad's property has shit for scrape activity. But if I know when these doe groups are coming in and where they're at, all I need to do is 
hunt the doe group, be where the doe group is going to bed, and those bucks are going See, to show up on that property. Now there. you got me thinking. And this, now you can just doe hop. So now yep. you're not burning out spots. It's like, I'm going to hunt this for two days because they're going to be in. Yep. I'm going to hunt this doe group for two days because it's going to be in. I'm going to hunt this doe group for two days because like they're going to be in. Like I told you, I found that doe bedding area in the swamp. That 150 yards past that, I found last month, I found another doe bedding area. It's right where three or four properties kind of meet anti-hunter. Mm-hmm. There's a vegan, I think, and like an ant hunter, basically, and they're betting pretty much betting on the high knob right on the border. They're about 150 yards apart. Looking out on the map, they're about 150 yards apart. So now I'm going to throw a camera, you know, this year just burn. Mm-hmm. Like I'll probably burn a few sits on each one, but go put a camera end of September. Yep. Just put a camera in there and put a camera on that one. I actually got a camera on it. One trail will probably get stolen. I got it. I can't sit there. I had to go down in the swamp. And actually, because he said, if that is true, there's going to be some relatively consistent year in, year out. Yep. And I have another spot. So I actually know there's, there's three doe groups better mm-hmm. than there. Like big doe groups. Not like one or two isolated does. Like five, six, seven does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I would totally throw cameras yep. on those, if nothing else, for this year and understand, like, when do bucks start sniffing those areas? Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you know what those dates are, it's like yeah. on a day or two on either side, they're going to be pretty consistent year in, year yeah, out. that's good. Because I've seen it play out in the one yeah. spot I hunt in the Midwest where it's it's consistent year in and year I out. Know. Is November 12th. Right. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll get them coming through the yard. Yeah. Almost like clockwork. If yep. I put a camera back there. It's that's the day. Yeah, that's the day when a big deer will show up. Like yep. surprise, I'm here and yeah. I'm gone. And like I said, it's like yep. you it may not find the biggest deer, but if there's a big deer in the yep. area and you know there's a big deer in the area, mm-hmm. chances are he's going to want to check those out. Yep. You know. So, all right, on to the next. So this person's asking how to get non non traditional ways to get intel on out of state public hunting. Oh, that's an interesting one. Non traditional. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think they're all traditional. <laughs> um, I mean, I think is well, social media is good. Yeah. Um, the one thing I started doing is, uh, you know, started kind of watching groups for states that I'm going to go hunt, and if nothing else, looking, trying to find some people who might be in the general area, and if I can figure out, like, are they in a town that's like 20 miles away or whatever, and just look at dates that they start posting bucks like pictures of dead deer because mm-hmm. that's going to give me a good idea of like when they're up when Find they're moving a truck driver like tony's here i told yep. him you should be logging that stuff all the time he does it i don't know why like you literally spend your life behind the wheel like it just be a cool diary truck driver diary mm-hmm. all the stuff he sees be it deer you know accidents mm-hmm. and but i know for yeah truck drivers be a good thing a truck stop Mm-hmm. You find a, a cross, you know, if you're going to be hunting Kansas, go to your local truck stop. There's somebody there from Kansas. The other one, too, that I found that was helpful, and this was in Iowa, um, was actually the gas station attendant, but she was a, it was a woman. She didn't, she was willing to give up intel because she's not, she wasn't hunting. And I was, she's like, hey, what are you doing? You're like, I gave her my license for yeah. something. I maybe I was buying beer or something like that. I don't remember what it was. And she's like, oh, you're from Pennsylvania. And I was like, yeah. She's like, you out here hunting? And I was like, yeah, out here hunting. I told her where I was hunting. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, my brother or whoever used to hunt back in here. And they hunted over here. There's a really big deer over here that I heard about. And just started dumping intel. You know, it's like, so it doesn't but, have to be the dude at the gas yeah. station pumping gas. Like, the lady behind the counter, people are willing to talk to her because they're not worried about her going out and killing the deer. And so that was one thing I kind of learned on that she trip. She was baiting all you guys. Like, yeah, there's a big deer over there. She's like, she was actually hunting the suckers for Pennsylvania, <laughs> yeah. you know. But so, I mean, that's one. I mean, that's kind of one that's pretty traditional. Though. Like when you go and you start talking to locals, you know, um, social using that has, has been helpful. Mixed, re- mixed reviews on that. Like, I, I think one, and this is traditional, but it's, it's way underutilized, is, is the wildlife biologist for the DNR for that state for that area. Like they want to talk to people yeah. about what's going on on the, on the timber. Uh, they're yeah, managing. Mon- Montana. When I went first time elk hunting, I was on the phone. They were probably getting tired of t- 
tired of talking to me. I'm like, all right, so what about this? And I hit him, what about this? And they're just like, yeah. After like two hours of talking. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's one that I underutilize, which shame on me for that. Um, But yeah, see, I don't go out West. Um, I mean, I talked to one last year before I went to Missouri, gave him a call, you know, because I have no clue what I was getting into out there. And he steered me in a good direction, like more than anything, because I didn't know exactly where I was going to be going. He helped me stay away from certain areas where I told him kind of like what I wanted. And he was like, you're not going to want to go here, here, here. There's a lot of blacktop, a lot of blacktop access, you know, so Mm -hmm. he steered me clear of that stuff. Um, I haven't talked to anybody in Kansas. Um, Chad has though. Chad, you know, that's the one thing hunting with a buddy, we kind of divide and conquer. But, and then the other part is, not going to be ashamed to say it, this podcast. It's not a mystery as to why whenever I'm going to another state, why all of a sudden you start seeing podcast guests pop up on the podcast from that state. You know, it's like... And think I'm, you're slick. <laughs> no, I don't think I'm slick. It's like I'm, I'm literally... And I'm not asking them where they're hunting, but I'm trying to just understand... I don't know where you're hunting, but where are you But hunting? where are your pins at? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... You know, for example, like, obviously going to Kansas... Had Eddie Claypool on. Eddie's from Oklahoma, but he hunts Kansas a lot. Trying to learn a little bit about that. Would like to have Jared from, you know, Whitetail Addictions back, or uh, Whitetail Adrenaline back on. Why? Jared hunts Kansas a lot. You know what I mean? And he's, you know, hunts from the ground a lot, which I'll have to do a lot of, you know? And so I try to have guys on the podcast of in areas that I'm going to probably be spending some time, you know? And so that's my non-traditional way of doing it. I started a whole podcast for that. <laughs> I've been running a podcast for six years to do nothing but get non-traditional intel yeah. for my hunting trips. Yeah, so it's listen, listen quite to a commitment. Pod, podcast guests from that area you're hunting. Yeah, it's quite a commitment that I've made for that. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment for 10 years, yes. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. So anyway, all right, we'll move on to the next one. So, All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there too. I'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear want to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest tune in to west marines life on the water presented by costa custom boats every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv